Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Austin Healy and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. On this week's show, we welcome legendary Australian winger David Campisi to look back at an astonishing couple of weeks in the rugby world, including, of course, Ireland's historic win over the All Blacks. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insights and analysis from David Flatman, Craig Doyle, Sarah Elgin and our studio guest. Great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for the welcome. That's all right. Um, The last time we met, uh, we achieved something that none of these guys have achieved lots of things in their sporting careers have achieved. We played international football with some of the greatest players that have ever lived. We certainly did. Soccer aid, will you ever forget it? Yes, it was fantastic. Ruud Goulet is a coach. Uh, Maradona, Dunga, Matthias. Schmeichel in goals. Alistair Campbell. What yeah, I mean, there were some great Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay. Yes. What were you doing there? I was just there doing the kit, ironing on the badges. <laughs> <laughs> like, we had a great time. And Ben Johnson. And Ben right. Johnson. And ben Johnson. Yeah. It's so good to see you. What are Thank you up you. to these days? Uh, well, just been a bit of travelling. I was in Kenya last week doing a bit of um, coaching and speaking at the Australian High Commission. Okay. And just trying to get involved in a bit of rugby. It's very difficult to try and help out these days because we're the dinosaurs and we, we've got a point of view. It's very difficult. <laughs> well, I, well, I don't. We we're in the same sort of boat. I think we are. Well, I don't think he is. No. My dad's younger than you. He's allowed to be younger. Than that. Okay. Don't so I just saw that sort of stuff. Just travelling around, and I'm um, here for the week to go to the England, South African game. So. And where are you living at the moment? Uh, Durban, South Africa. Ah, beautiful. Yeah. So I had to try and find some jeans because over there it's so warm every year. You don't need short, them. So, yeah. so what, what? What's taking you over there? Uh, my wife. Ah, yeah. OK. <laughs> That's usually the case. Pretty important, it? yes. Yeah. You're over here competing, Flats. Are you, you competed against uh, Dave at the moment. What's going on there? Well, no, we did a... Um, we have competed against one another before. We competed... The three of us, coincidentally, mm. competed in rugby, the Rugby Speaker of the Year tournament yeah. really? last year. Yeah, it was really, really good. It's, it's a massive shame, because afterwards there was an official investigation. It was rigged. Austin, Austin <laughs> oh. Which is a great shame. So it's the yeah. charities that lost out that day yeah. that he won. <laughs> you are, of course, known for your speaking uh, as yeah. a player and as a pundit. And, you know, just every time you open your mouth, you land yourself in trouble, yeah, which true. we absolutely love and we miss oh, you. I bet you do, yes. But we need more of you on telly. But yeah. certainly when England won the World Cup in 03, yeah. it was a really, really fun moment. And you, you're fair dues to you. You had a great sense of humour. Tell us the story behind this placard. What was going on? <laughs> yeah, I was a bit, I was a bit <laughs> stupid, wasn't I? Um, <laughs> now, what happened was uh, Gabby Logan was the, um, the presenter. And I was up in um, Brisbane when England, I think, played Wales, I think it was. And um, she said before the game, look, you know, I've done a survey in England and they said that, uh, what would you like to see? Who would you like to see do something strange if England won the World Cup? And they all said, 
wanted to see me wear a sandwich board down Oxford Street, and I thought it was Oxford Street in Sydney, which is a gay bar, gay street. <laughs> so I'm going, uh, Would you be no, fine? Really. Would you be fine? Uh, it would have been good, yes. <laughs> but they said, um, in London, I said, okay, fair enough. So England won, so... There I was. So I love it. We should really have a forfeit for the England-Australia game this autumn, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should have, yeah. Because okay. this is um, obviously for the Grand Slam as well. We haven't won the Grand Slam since 84. So this is a big year for Australian rugby. And uh, obviously after the couple of tests we had in June, I think July, where England beat us 3-0, it was, uh, could be a very interesting game. How about loser shaves his head? Oh, God. No, no, no I'm going all natural. I'm not how about the loser has to wear awful green jeans? Loser shakes his back. Add an extra small lion's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, this isn't small, it's kids 14 to 15. Oh, exactly, exactly. David, we'll have lots uh, more time to chat uh, later on. We're very excited to have you here. Okay, so. Saturday might not have been the best of day for Welsh rugby. <gasps> Irish eyes, however, were definitely smiling. Although the heads were probably pumping on Sunday, were they? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, maybe I should play your WhatsApp messages, actually, no. should I? No, <laughs> on Saturday night, no. they were quite amusing. Um, the boys in green had the mammoth task of facing the All Blacks in a historical fixture over in Chicago. I'm still sweating. Boom, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a historical fixture, of course, um, and it turned out to be a historical result. There wasn't a, a victory built on pride, passion, luck, scrapping to the very end. It was methodical, it was clinical, it was well thought out, and the game plan was well executed. We haven't always seen that from an Irish team against Southern Hemisphere teams. That's why it was so special. Five tries. It was a mixture of all those things and a whole lot more. And you have to wonder, actually, I watched it at home, and you, you think back to your own career when you played in games, and we all will have played in these sorts of games, where you find something extra. You find something that you don't normally, you're not able to find every single week, and the Irish players had that. Whether it was the Anthony Foley thing, whether that, was that had an effect on them, whether it was the, the number eight they formed on the field before the game, but they had an extra impact. They had an extra yard, or they had an extra desire. And you're going to have maximum desire when you play the All Blacks. You're always going to say, I'd play to 100%, but they played to 110%. And it was the second half was just absolutely fantastic. Everything went so well for them, in particular, you know, uh, Carberry's kick, for example. You bring on a young player into that fly half position, you think, right, what's he going to do? He might lose his head here because the whole place was going crazy. Puts a diagonal kick in, he throws a tunnel pass that gets out to Zebo, which creates territory. And they didn't make a lot of metres, as we'll have a look later on but they went on, on and won that game because they did the right things at the right time for 80 minutes. And Dave, we were talking earlier on, you just saying it's very rarely in an international like that you, you see that much intent, intensity in the whole game for the 80 minutes for, from Ireland. Yeah, I think what, what you... It sort of got predictable after half-time, so Ireland had a great start. Whether that's predictable or not, I'm not sure. But whether or not they had a great start, you think the, the All Blacks are going to come good in the last 20 minutes or the sort of the you know 20-minute chunk at some point in the second half. They're going to hit this mythical gear that everyone talks about. And they did hit it, and they did come back, and they brought it back to a couple of points difference. There's, now, that is where Ireland crumble. That's where every team in the world for the last couple of seasons has crumbled. Now, a few international players have been saying, you can beat this All Blacks team as long as you keep them under pressure for 80 minutes. And to do that, yes, you need a bit of passion and desire, whatever that really means. You also need extreme fitness. You need to execute your drills. You need to do what you said you were going to do when you weren't tired and you were in a team room with a nice cup of tea. Do what you said you were going to do and you planned you were going to do immaculately for 80 minutes. And it's when the All Blacks came back, shut that gap, you thought, it is all over. There's no way Ireland... And they found it again. They went again incredibly fit, brilliantly coached. 
I'm glad you mentioned actually fitness because the SNC team with Ireland as well, and also Andy Farrell, defence coach, was absolutely yeah. awesome. Dave, we're going to get your view on everything in a minute, but the two boys Thanks. are just going to look at the match in a little bit of detail and uh, give us some analysis, and you can gather your thoughts, lads. Off. <laughs> well, yeah, our, stat, our stats guru has had a little look at it and come up with just a few slides to take a, a bit of a peek at. And one of the key factors in the game actually was the penalties conceded. Ireland only conceded four penalties in the whole match, but this is New Zealand with their 12 penalties, a lot of them in defence, which is not really what you'd expect from the All Blacks. And I think, Flats, that they had a little bit of help from the referee. I don't know, where, I don't know whether that cloak that um, uh, Harry Potter had, the invisible cloak, had gone now <laughs> off those All Blacks because now we were seeing all the infringements that they were doing. They compete so hard at the breakdown. Yeah, as a cynic might argue, Oz, that actually they were refereed properly at the breakdown, which hasn't always happened. Um, I'm not sure I necessarily buy into that, but what Ireland did better than New Zealand by a mile was learn the referee, learn his habits and not give away penalties. And Ireland gave away, you know, just four penalties over the whole game. That's astonishing. It's astonishing. So it was an open game. And four of it's... those in attack as well, which is down to the Irish pressure, I think. Yeah, it really is. Now, this is, this is really interesting. So of the Irish five tries, all five scored from set piece. And that's really, really unusual. Um, you look at they got 40 points per entry, so they're averaging four points per entry into the New Zealand red zone, New Zealand strike zone. That is really, really very, high. Very, very high. This is, this is fascinating because this is when New Zealand's defence is supposedly at its most organised. And you look at Aaron Smith stepping out on that breakdown and Conor Murray going through. You look at the defence off the back of that scrum. Kane where off the back. Kane off the back, off the back, too slow. We'll have a look at that in a minute, I expect. But that is really, really substandard defence from the All Blacks. And whether they made a few changes or not, they always make a few changes. They were bang off it. Well, I think that's the key stat, actually. Five tries from set piece because if we look at the, the next load of stats, it shows you about metres and carries. So normally, if you only make 194 mm. metres during a match, particularly an international, you're not going to win. But that shows you that they scored five of their, all five of their tries from set piece. That is a huge number, a huge number of 500 metres. It's about 4.283 average. If you divide 514 by 120, I think, it, yeah, I think it's that. Um, but that's what it is on average per carry, which is a really high number. But this is the big thing for them. 73% mm. positive outcome. It means that everything they tried came off. I think the Irish boys will actually look at these stats and they'll look back at the game when they watch the video and they'll think, do you know what? we can probably play a little bit better than we did in that game. So, as they get to the next match, it's going to be they game one, isn't it? executed brilliantly the whole yeah, way through. We get another shot on the 19th, of course. David, your, your view on it all? No, it's quite interesting. I think that uh, stats are fantastic. You know, but to me, at the end, as I said, the results, 40, whatever it was, is the most important. 40 29, average to two, actually, would you? Was it? <laughs> um, but, but it's interesting you talked about the, the way the All Blacks... The, the All Blacks have always played... For the first 20, they come out really strong. I think this year, if you have a look at every game, it's the first game they've been behind at half-time. They're always in front. So they come out straight, strong for the first 20. The next 10's a bit of it. In the last five or six, they put it back on. The second half, they come out strong for the first 10 again. By then, the oppositions normally fall apart. We saw it against uh, Wales this year. Uh, we saw it in the Bledisloe Cup in the, the Championship Trophy. But the thing is, you know, I'm, not, I'm going to be a bit of a a dull person, which I normally am. You know, if you look at games like that, and I know we'll talk, probably talk about England as well, coming to Australia this year. You know, Eddie Jones, I know Eddie, I played club rugby with Eddie, you know, he's been around. And if you have a look at those games in that game, the more you try things and it doesn't work, the more mistakes you make, the opposition capitalise. And that's, I think, what happened in the game as well. The All Blacks, you know, I think there's too much rugby being played the whole year round. These guys have been playing since February, and they're still going. You know, and Ireland's came towards South Africa. They almost beat South Africa. Them and England last year didn't do well in the World Cup at all. But now, for some reason, 12 months later, they've got their act together. It's strange that most teams try and peak for World Cups. 
Do you Another not think teams. it's that mindset, though, Campbell? Yeah, because, I think it is you know, as well. I think we were yeah. quite dull in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. We thought we could rock up and use power and strength of yeah. our forwards and drive you around. And, you know, when you played, and, and I, when I played, we loved the sort of flair side of yeah. it. And that island went for that. They had three Me kickable too. penalties. They the same. Didn't they? But they kicked wow. for the corners. Now, yeah. An old island, or even an island maybe playing at home, would think, let's get three, let's get six, let's get nine. But... As a mathematician, I know that if you score seven rather than three, you've got a better chance of winning. That is, <laughs> that is almost definitely true. It's that. genius, isn't it? <laughs> but also, I suppose, going to America, it's an exhibition game. Yeah. You really you want to promote the game, and what a better yeah. place than America. And unfortunately, the Cubs won the first title in 100 years, so <laughs> Ireland said, well, we might as well do better. Mm. But it's actually great for the game. You know? And I think what you mentioned about the referees, well, there wasn't many penalties given away. When you look at some of these other games, it's really dominated by the referee, and I think... The referee could have been under a bit of instructions. Yeah, the guys the just go and play. Let the it's a good point, play. actually, because there wasn't yeah. as many cameras filming this game as there are on normal Premiership games. Yeah. So when New Zealand scored the try in the corner, I think that try would have been disallowed with his left leg. Because they only had a high angle, mm. they had to go with the first angle. The ref went, that's OK with yeah. me, gave the try. Now, I quite like that. Yeah. If, it get, if it gets shown down the line that it's not a try, well, fine. But it speeds the game up and it makes but it didn't more change didn't the like result that. of the game either. No, exactly. It didn't change the result of the game. It nearly did when they were four points behind Ireland in the nine minutes yeah. of the game. And I guess that was the key part, wasn't it? It was the last yeah, 15 minutes definitely. we haven't always seen from Ireland. Nailed it, didn't yeah. they? They really did. And it's kind of like sort of Man United a generation ago. You just know they're going to come back and have a strong last quarter or 15 minutes. But Ireland weathered that storm and actually refused to, refused to concede in that last 15 or 20 minutes. The defence was staggering, actually. And partly because, talk about passion all you want. I'm not really into that. Certainly after, not after five minutes of the game and you're blowing a bit. It was actually really, really well organised and really aggressive. So there was a willingness to be in the right position at all times and there was a willingness to collide as aggressively as possible. Now, I think if you look by the footage as well, I mean, you look at the enthusiasm by the Irish. Normally, there'd be one chaser. You've got four or five Irish. Yeah, look at that. And look at the All Blacks. I mean, they're not... Have a look at seven. And so yeah. that, 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 is, that is a will to be look in the right that. position, but it's also <laughs> Conor Murray, not a huge guy. Quite big for Sky. Have a look at Sam Kane on the open side for New Zealand here. I think they've got Jerome, Jerome Kane on the second row, concentrating yeah. too hard on that yeah. scrum. He's too late off. And it's just that defence is not what we would call all black standard, but it's not all black standard because maybe they were a bit off, but they were put off by Ireland, who were relentless. No, but, but also, I mean, it's for these guys, they, they broke, broke a record the week before or two weeks before against Australia for the most Come tests. down, maybe. Yeah. And I know they changed a lot of plays around, but you just by the enthusiasm. That's all you've got to do with the all blacks. I mean, You've got to go out there, and as you said, it's for 80 minutes. You can't go out there for 10. So we've we've no. left the main reason out why they won. It was because they've got an English coach. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Wasn't the same coach at all. Should we look at the... Should we look at the rest of the fixtures? <laughs> uh, yeah, you can see it there. The rest of uh, Ireland's autumn fixtures. Um, Canada up next, and then they'll be playing New Zealand at Dublin, and then the final, and, um, of course, Australia. Um, and then let's have a look at the New Zealand fixtures. Oh... Italy. <laughs> oh, I, feel, yeah, I actually feel sorry it. for them. Um, and then Ireland, and then France is their final game. Um, I, I, how do you expect them to respond against, against Italy, David? Oh, look, it's going to be... Uh, look, I, I think the All Blacks are, are one of those teams that they, give, they always go out there, they've got so much pride. And I, I remember talking to the next All Black last year, and what they want to do, they want to win every game. Mm. They don't sort of wait for four years to win a World Cup, they want to win every single game. And um, they're going to be hurting, but the poor Italians are going to be a bit of a problem. But I'd be interested to see the, the return Ireland game yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. Because I think the All Blacks are going to have a bit of revenge as well. So I'd be interested to see the tactics from the English, how, sorry, the Irish, how will they play that again? Will they take it or they will just go back and just 
A bit safe. It's almost worth going over for that one, Chris. It would be. Right. Tell you Conor O'Shea will have studied every single second of that Ireland victory mm. with his new Italy team. So it'll be interesting if he can pull something out of the bag. They might give him a good first half. We'll see anyway. That game is live on BT Sport, by the way. You don't want to miss that. Can I just ask you one thing? What? Were New Zealand not the best team in the world? Yes? Yeah. Did Ireland beat New Zealand? Yeah. Therefore, surely... Ireland are now the... Yeah. No? It's, like, it's like Conkers, isn't it? You it's beat, like what? It's like Conkers, you beat the top guys. There you yeah. go, Dave. Thank yeah. you for that. Welcome. I love yeah. it, right. Carry on, Can, can carry we please on. talk about Wales-Australia now? Yeah, yeah, come on. OK. David, what a performance from your boys. I mean, probably the, yeah. the best we've seen in a long time. Yeah, I think the first 20 was, uh, was not bad, but I think... No, well, I mean, the, the test match goes for Ada we talked about, but I think the... Um, because Wales hadn't played since June as well, June, July, the Wallabies two weeks ago, the momentum just... But you could say the same out. for Ireland, yeah. New Zealand, though, couldn't you, I yeah. guess? You, know, you can I... do that. But, um, again, you know, Australia's... We're going for the Grand Slam again for the first time since 84. So it was a good way to start. You know, you play the All Blacks two weeks ago, then you turn up and play Wales and you win by 30. So it's a good, good result. We've got a couple more games to go at it, but still, it's pretty good. Yeah, uh, I've gone, you go. No, 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 no you I just, go. Well, I'm just thinking, because David, come on, he's talking about, you know, the, the rugby kind of losing the characters and some of the joy mm. sometimes. But I think we saw that with the Australian team, particularly in the back line, and seeing guys like Curran Drandy finding form and Falau as well and Bernie yeah. Foley playing out of his skin. Uh, that's pretty heartening, isn't it? No, it is, but I still think we haven't got our combination right. I'd love to see Falau at, at 13. Um, Kurtley Beal... To me, he's a great player, and, and Falau only plays well when Kirtley Bill plays, because Falau's a finisher, he's not a creator. And if you have a look at the Wallaby side, um, Falau's been at fullback, but there's, he hasn't followed anyone, he hasn't really got that uh, connection. So it has been tough. Um, you know, we, we haven't got the great wingers like the finishers. We need two really good quick finishers for the ball to get out there. But I mean, it's to, to, to beat Wales by 30 was, you know, was a pretty good result. But again, when the, when the games gets harder. I mean, obviously the England game is going to be tough because England would have played four games as well, so they're going to be both at their peak. It's going to be very, very difficult, and that's where you need a bit of X-factor. And that's, that's what I think in the games these days, you really need someone who can change a game pretty quickly. Lads, we can, we can praise Australia, of course we can, but... Um, we I have to? What? <laughs> well, Don't have to, mate. Would you, you, would you prefer to praise Australia than Wales? Yes. Um, that's like, I didn't think, think about, about it. it. <laughs> that's, like, that's like asking me which one of my sisters am I going to snob? <laughs> I want to talk about the Welsh defence um, because that, that, the, our defence has been fantastic for years and years and years. And the last year or so, I don't know what's happened to it. We've conceded like 32 tries, I think, in the last six test matches. Like, why? What problems did you see on the weekend? They just looked lacklustre. There was no passion there. They were playing at home. And yeah, you haven't played for a while, but. You're playing your first game in your Welsh shirt and you're at home and you're against Australia, a side that you haven't got a record for. Surely it's going to bring everything out of you. And it just seemed like they started and they, the defence just sat there in much the same way that their attack did. It almost went through the motions. It didn't react to what they were seeing in front of them. Australia didn't play that great in the first 20. Mm. They went side to side through the phases. They didn't always make ground. But Wales just let them keep winning phase after phase after phase. And eventually you're going to run out of defenders or you're going to get a matchup with a fast guy against a fat guy and you're going to make a break. And that's effectively what happened? Muscly guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's fascinating watching Wales and it's almost this um, Rob Howley taking over from Gatland in the Lions year as kind of an outsider and we joke about wanting Wales to lose. We want to see good rugby as long as they're not playing against England. You want them to develop and it's, it's this sort of odd now, it seems like to me an, an odd 
um, a sort of steadfast refusal to evolve. And they're playing the same patterns they've been playing since, what is it, the Wasp pattern of 2002, mm. sort of going the same way and using a lot of power. You need front five dominance. They've struggled for that since Adam Jones stopped playing. So we're predictable. You need, you need midfield dominance. Yeah. They struggle for that without the front five dominance. So suddenly the Warburtons, the Tippericks, the Falatals, when they're playing, are less effective. They weren't all playing at the weekend, but even the Moriartys are less effective. So it's all very well advertising to the world, this is what we do, stop us if you can. But actually, when they stop you, as long as you're doing it really, really well, but when they stop you, you need a plan B. And at the moment, there doesn't seem to be one. And that would be the worry for me if I were Welsh. So, through the things you look at last, like last year, you'll go back to the World Cup. Australia played Wales. Wales had the Wallabies down to 13 men for 10 minutes and 22. And Wales had no idea how to score. They were clueless, really. Mm. Um, you know, on the weekends, again, there's no X factor. You can see, you know what the players are going to do. No one can actually do something different yeah. and keep you guessing. Yeah. And that's what I think the, when the All Blacks play, you know, if you've got Smith, Sevilla, uh, you've got Dag, you've got Barrett, you've got guys you've got to watch all the time. But uh, if you watch the Welsh time, you've got George North on the wing who doesn't get the ball. Uh, the guys on the outside really don't do a lot. So really, Both, both their nines are pretty good. Yeah. Though, but I think the same is going to be true of England and South Africa at the weekend. It's going to be decided by a little bit of X factor, exactly. isn't it, yeah. really? Yeah. Let's talk about South Africa. Obviously, Babla's in the weekend. And there's so many issues there. Selection criteria we mm. were talking about a little bit earlier with all of us. And you know what they have to do there is making life kind of difficult. They can't essentially put out their best 15 on the pitch, David. What's your view on them? Yeah, moment? look, it's very tough. I mean, I think it's like the world's gone crazy. You know, you look at the politics, you've got the, the rugby teams, the selections. Um, but if you look at the, the Springboks, um, they've been very unsettled. You know, new coach this year. Um, they played Ireland in, in Cape Town, they lost, and then the coach goes back and picks a couple of other players. Mornay Staines come back, who hasn't played for a couple of years, just to win a couple of tests. Um, Pat Lambie had a shocking injury in the first Ireland game. And you can still see he's not really that confident. You can see, just watch him. And again, it's the combinations. You know, you, everyone's played in test rugby. You've got to have a, a good 8, 9 and 10 combination that the centres and the back three got to work together. And if you haven't got that combination, when the pressure's on, that's when you know that you need that X factor, or the, the pressure, to know that the guy on the outside can help you out. And at the moment, even though it was a Barbarians game, to be, I think it was 31-19 down with about mm. 10 to go, not a good position to be in. Yeah. But they had a bit of character to, to come back. Alistair Coates' hands are tied a little bit in this one. Um, all well meaning racial integration, but it, it does cause selection problems, flats. Uh, are, you, are you a fan of this? I know the target is to have 50% black players. Look, it's a great idea, it's the right thing, but it's, it's a troubled path to that it's, end target. There are two ways to look at it. I think in a sporting sense, it's um, evidently ridiculous because you're not picking the best players to play for your country. That's one thing, so you're going to lose games. And Victor Matfield's been, I think he was on here, and he said, you know, you've got guys getting picked in the team knowing they're not the best players, feeling a bit awkward, but you get a cap and you get some money and you're going to do it. It's, it's what you want to do. I think that's actually... Um, that's, too, that's almost, a, almost a lazy view, actually. I think if you take a long-term view, what are we trying to do? What, what are we worried about? We're worried about losing a few games in the short term. And that is annoying if you're one of the current crop of pros or supporters. But actually, look further ahead. What's the aim? If there aren't a good number of black players in that squad, then why, are the, why is the huge population of black kids, why are the current five-year-olds going to look at that team and aspire to it? So it's in the short term. It's painful, and it, in, in purely sporting terms, it's ridiculous because it isn't the best of the best, and they may lose a few games. But in the long term, the other view, the other view which I can see, is 
is that actually you need to inspire the next generation and the one after that and the one after that. And with an all-white team, just because all-whites are the best players, you won't do that. So I think there is a bullet to be bitten in the short term. That's a really yeah, good a take on it, actually, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, no, fair great. play to you. Um, of course, it is England that South Africa will be playing next. And Ali Eakin has been down to the England camp at Peniel Park to speak to England scrum coach Neil Hatley and Joe Launchbury, head of the game on Saturday at Twickenham. Here, this is what happened. Why is it that England haven't beaten South Africa in 10 years? You'd have to say maybe belief. You know, I, I, I can't exactly put my finger on it, have not ever been involved. So, you know, we, we've been talking about it for, you know, for a long time, not just these one or two weeks leading into it. This is obviously the, the first game of a, of a big series, um, but this is the only game that we've been focused on. You know, I haven't looked any further than this. Um, and as a team, we're looking constantly to improve. You know, like you say, that's the ultimate goal for this team. We want to be number one in the world. Um, and to do that, you've got to beat sides that you haven't beaten, you know, for a while. So this is a massive game for us. Physically, the confrontation is obviously going to be huge. So um, we're expecting that again this weekend, and that scenario we'll, we'll have to get right to, to win the game. You've lost some big players, the likes of Itoji and Cruz. So how disruptive has that been? I look, you know, we've got players like Courtney Laws, who's going to win his 50th cap, and Joe Launchbury and Dave Atwood, who's, who's you know got a number of caps as well. So I think more than anything, it's just a fantastic opportunity for those blokes. The competition is always going to be huge. Obviously, missing two great players who, who've done done a great job in the shirt for the last 12 months. So it's an exciting time for me to come in and, and, and for Courtney. So it's um, yeah, it's something we're excited about. What about Tom Wood? How's he come back into the frame? He's been absolutely brilliant. Um, I obviously know Tom. Never have worked with him before. Um, the way he's assimilated himself back into the squad has been outstanding. You know, I can't say enough about him. The way that he's applied himself since he's been in. Hungry, I'm guessing. Very hungry, yep. You know, he's got that wild man of Borneo look going on. So, uh, you know, he's, um, he's been very impressive. Have you talked about the notion of going unbeaten in a calendar year? No, it hasn't been talked about at all. Not Genuinely at all. not at all. It hasn't been talked about at all. It's just, as, as cliched as it sounds, literally just the next game focus. You know, we, nobody's mentioned that, nobody's looked at that. So the last time we heard from you in an England shirt, it was Brexit. Correct. And, and now Donald Trump's been voted in as president of the USA. Are you a Trump fan? Um, no, look, <laughs> there's people in a lot better position to comment on, <laughs> on American politics rather than me. So, no, like I said, for me, it's just about South Africa on the weekend. Best of luck. Thank you very Enjoy. much. Cheers. Thank you. Yes, of course, England start their autumn campaign on the weekend. The team is announced tomorrow. This is mm. where you two come in. Um, who would you pick if you were Eddie Jones? Not who you think you'll pick, who would you pick? Well, who, who would I pick? I mean, I think the, the front row takes care of itself. There will be some discussion around the second row. Courtney Laws is fit. There's chat about maybe Beaumont playing in the second row. That would be my second row. Launch breeze a shoo-in. Um, especially with Cruz and Itoji injured. Dave Atwood I like, especially against South Africans. I think he probably he isn't as mobile as a launch brie or perhaps even a Laws, but he's still pretty mobile for a big guy. And when he hits, he hits hard. He makes such a high percentage of dominant tackles, really good in the scrum, real heavy, but he gets up nicely in the line out and he makes good yardage, ball in hand in heavy traffic. Really like Atwood, think he's in great form. This is a back row I'd like to see. Billy Shewin, best in the world at the moment or close. Um, Rob Shaw at seven. I know Eddie Jones says he's not a seven, but I still reckon he'd do a job for you there. And Hughes at six, just because that's who I would pick for fun. That's why I'm a, I'm a fan. That's why I'm not a coach. That's yeah. not who I think will play. I'd, lo I'd, love to see, I'd love to see Nathan Hughes get a run out, but I think what's more likely is Tom Wood, who's just, he'll play seven back in the team. That's what we, that's what we hear is going to happen. And it's a great call. Yes, there are a few injuries, but this guy's got an absolute motor on him. And of course, 
Robbo at six, and it's a formula that's worked really nicely. Since Eddie Jones took over, he's almost said to Billy, look, Billy works very hard anyway, but actually don't worry too much about getting your stats up. Just carry ball, carry ball, and have it's been Haskell and Robshaw up until this point, but with Haskell injured, it'll be Tom Wood, just two out-and-out engines on the flanks, and I think that's a formula he will stick with. That's where I think it will go. OK, do you agree with that and then move on to the backs? Uh, pretty much. I think probably Beaumont would be in for Atwood is the only thing. Atwood's not played that much rugby this okay. year. He's had his problems with injuries, but it's a close call either way. Again, to the backs, it's, well, it's much the same, I think. 9, 10, 12 are pretty nailed on now. Youngs, Ford, Farrell, great combination, Ford and Farrell working well together. Usually bring out the best in each other. Didn't think it was going to work when it first started, but it's moulded into a very good partnership. Mm. Youngs is finding, obviously, some of the best form we've seen from him. Looks, looks uh, not Young, <laughs> not that Young, his name's Young. <laughs> he looks quite light and he's looking quick around the breakdown. Very important attacking player against South Africa and against Australia at the end. And then you get into a, a bit of discussion. Most people would go for Joseph, but we're hearing on Twitter today that Daly's going to be picked in the 13 shirt so that's one little piece of information and you never know with Eddie Jones no, whether it's it a mind, like mind trick yeah, you exactly. just never know but we're also hearing that Joseph may have had a slight twinge during the week and not been able to train maybe it's part injury maybe it's selection we'll, we'll find out some good guys been sent home particularly strange for me and I say this every time is mm. good I don't think that there's a better fullback in England than him. Brown's a fantastic player, but this guy just offers so much more different variation in his play, particularly in an aerial battle, and we saw how important that was between Ireland and New Zealand at the weekend. Aerial games win you internationals, and, and that Rocco? guy is the best. About Rocco? And Rocco is another guy as well, but Yard carries particularly well. He'll mm. be told that he's got to work like Noel, get close to Ford on his inside shoulder, take a little bit of pressure off the back row and the second row ball carriers, and carry near to the breakdown. Very good at doing that. May offers you all the communication skills in your back three mm -hmm. and you know what you get from Brown yeah. heart on the sleeve England player he'll probably bleed for England on Saturday I'm sure he will um, what does David think of that team Craig yeah it's interesting isn't it because Marlon Yard in there and all the Bath fans saying why is Rocket Dagooney not going to be in this team Matt Banahan his tweet was fairly controversial he said guess two years of form meters made defenders beaten and try scored means nothing to help selection for Rocco hashtag inform wing What's he thinking? Who would you go with? Well, I think what um, Austin said about Eddie Jones is right. He, he keeps you guessing. You know, he'll, get, he'll know the plays that he'll want to put in eventually. Uh, on the, the tour this year, he started one test with Farrell, then brought Ford on. So, and if you think about the game, if you've got two players, two playmakers, it keeps your opposition guessing which way you're going to run. If you have one playmaker in his tackles, then you know the, the opposition realises the next guy is going to get the ball, he's just going to hit it up. So if you've got two playmakers, there's always one alive. It keeps you, especially the kicking aspect. Look, you know, I've watched Brown over the last couple of years. I think he's a very good fullback. But the thing, I, it's quite interesting, I don't think he, pass, he, sh he passes as much as he should or could. He's one of those guys that's, you know, I've seen him like 10 out, the tries there, and it's my try, you know. And if it doesn't work, well, the chance goes, you know, missing. But it's... I mean, he's very got, much an Eddie Jones player, isn't he? Well, that's what Eddie does. Eddie, as I said, when he got the job, I knew, I said, you, England's going to win. He's going to make you guys win. It's not going to look pretty, but you're going to win. And that's all you guys really want. So Eddie's going to do that. <laughs> I mean, I know. I, I played with the guy. He was a hooker, too. He wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, but I mean, I'm just saying, like, he, he knows what he wants. He's been around a long time. Um, and, you know, the results are there. So, at the moment, he's, you know, he's got the players. There's so many good players you can pick, which is very unusual. England over the years haven't had that many players, but you've got every position, you've got two or three players he can put in and they'll perform. And I think that's what he's trying to build up to. Jeez, Campbell, you're sounding almost positive about England over here, eh? <laughs> what? Well, I'm here at the moment, so I've got to be careful. I've got to leave the place here. Yeah.
So, uh, the Anglo-Welsh Cup kicked off on BT Sport this weekend, of course. Now, the format is a little bit complicated. So, instead of me explaining it to you, here is the rugby oracle that is Nick Mullins to do so. After a season away because of the World Cup, the Anglo-Welsh Cup is back. It's got some history stretching back to the early 1970s and for over 10 years now has included the four Welsh regions. That's the Welsh part of the equation. The current holders are Saracens, who beat the previous champions Exeter at the Gardens two years ago. Saracens were captained by the emerging Marowatoje. So, on to the latest edition, four pools of four teams, the top sides going through to the semi-finals. Simple, right? Well, not quite. Rather than playing the other sides in their pool, each team plays all four clubs from a separate pool. So, the teams in pool one play all four sides in pool four, and the teams in pool two will be matched up against the sides in pool three. Confused? Well, this gives each team four matches in total, two home and two away. Their points are totted up and matched up against the sides in their own pool. And only the winner of each pool will progress to the semi-finals. From there on, it's straightforward knockout rugby with the four semi-finalists fighting for a spot in the final on March the 19th next year. Confirmation of all the results then. Uh, last weekend, it was a win for Worcester, though a much better performance by Bristol. Um, Leicester there, sneaking past Bath. It's a point in it. Um, Bath's first defeat at home this season. It was a good night for sale at the AJ Bell. 17-13, the final score there. A win for Gloucester at Kingston. A good comeback, actually, for them. Saracens were up for most of that game. Um, a win at the Stoop for the home side. Harlequins over Exeter. And then on Sunday, Northampton travelled to Newcastle and came back with the points. Yeah, as I said, uh, due to those Pro 12 games last week. The Welsh teams only get in action on Friday night. Uh, we're at Cardiff Arms Park Blues against Ospreys. Rodney's parade for Dragons against Scarlets. I really enjoyed um, this weekend. I, mm. I just enjoyed the fact that we saw a mix uh, of youth and talent of the future and a sprinkling of experience and, and big names. Um, and Leicester, to be fair, deserved winners at the rec? I think so. I think... Had Bath, Todd Black had I said after the game, had Bath nicked it, I don't, I don't think they would have deserved it. And I'd, I'd go along with that. I think Leicester did enough. Bath started really brightly, but went off the boil a little bit. It was actually a really entertaining game, was, especially the first hour or so. Yeah. A couple of guys played really well. I mean, Freddie Burns was the best player on the field. He was, he was fantastic. Just absolute class, completely managed that game. Just controlled it for large periods. His kicking game was, was wonderful. But uh, a couple of young players really stood out for me. One we know about is uh, Harry Thacker at Hooker. And he, he was kind of so good that it makes you wonder why hasn't this guy been playing more in the Premiership so far this season. He's behind Tom Youngs, which you can understand, and McGuigan as well at Leicester. He's a brilliant player. So I guess that's why I've answered my own question. <laughs> but he, but he's, kind of, he's kind of so good. Every time he gets a ball in his hands, he has an impact. And there he's making yards against big back row players in heavy traffic. Not something you expect someone as diminutive as him to do, but everywhere he goes, he has an impact. He's just... I think he might have put on a kilo or two since the off, in the off-season. Whatever, he's just really fast, powerful, hard to put down. It can only be a scrummaging, can't it? It can't be anything else. I, on, honestly, watching him, I never think his scrummaging isn't up to it. And, you know, Lee Mears, who I played with for a long time, was smaller than Harry Thacker and nowhere near as good a nick that. He looked like a shopkeeper, Lee Mears. Just <laughs> <laughs> her, her, horrible physique, but he, he was good enough. And because he was good enough, he was big enough. Like Neil Back, you know, your former colleague, 
I, I don't buy the whole... I think if you stick him in enough scrums with good props like Marcos Ajerta and Dan Cole, he will get good enough quick at scrummaging if he's not already. I tell you, we could have had the man of the match on the losing team too. Do you know who I'm going to say? Zach Mercer. Yeah, he's good, isn't he? Ab absolutely brilliant. This, this kid only got his... Only got a go for Bath this season because everyone else is injured by his own admission. And every time he's played, he's looked... Oddly, he's looked like he's got a bit of growing to do, but he still looks really, really powerful. Really quick off the mark, lovely feet, hands, loves the contact, the loves, loves it when it comes. Um, he's just oddly composed for someone so inexperienced Sorry. and young. And he kind of look, looks like a puppy that's got a bit of growing to do, but he's already sort of outrunning all the big dogs. Yeah. And he he's spoke really well player. at the end of the game as well in that interview, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he, he really did. He really did. Impressive young kid. That's a really important part of this. We talk about this competition, the Anglo-Welsh, David, as a, as a great spawning ground for young players in terms of what they do on the pitch. But as Mercer, after the game, spoke brilliantly in front of the cameras, live on television. They don't get the opportunity to do that so often. Even Jordan Murphy kind of coaching the team, head coach for the night for Leicester Tigers. It's not just on the pitch, it's the whole business of rugby they're getting the chance to experience in front of cameras under pressure. It's very important, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to be good in front of the camera. It doesn't come natural to, to everyone, but the... Um... <laughs> Even some of the pros. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right. It gives you the opportunity to get in front of the shop window. And uh, we took a lot of criticism, actually, about choosing the man of the match. But it's, it was chosen by Andy Goode. So, obviously, direct any of your problems towards him. He, he, he <laughs> made on the wrong Twitter. He's on Twitter. Yeah, responds um, well to abuse. But it's, it's not just about those young players as well. It's also about the fringe players. You know, we, talk, we spoke about Freddie Burns. He's not always in that 10 shirt for Leicester. Will Evans is another one for Leicester. Played mm. pretty well on the night. But then you look at the other game, Charlie Walker had a fantastic game. He was all, his metres were really high, creating tries, scoring tries. And he's just a different type of winger, isn't he, to Visser and, and uh, Marlon Yard, but different in a good way, I think. And to have this option at Quinns is a real luxury for him. He created a few and scored one himself. And it's these games in the Anglo-Welsh where you're on the fringe, you don't quite get picked for the European or the Aviva Premiership, that you can maybe force your way back into the reckoning. And... Uh, he was, he was excellent throughout the evening. David, is there an equivalent in Australia or your adopted home, South Africa, to, to get young guys in front of the cameras like that and big yeah, stage? Um, look, it's, it's, it's a bit different. I mean, it's, um, obviously, they've got the Curry Cup as well. They've got Super Rugby Curry Cup, so they're, 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 there's a lot of older guys at the moment. Um, but uh, I don't think probably not as, not as much over here. You guys are probably doing it a bit better. Uh, but the players, as some of those young guys, it's good because they're not big. Mm. Would have said the little guys come back, you know, mm. because the well, the interesting thing about some of that highlights were it was actually the pace. It's a change of pace. You know, everyone runs at the same pace in the game, and the, you create things when you change the pace and you've got good feet. And even the hooker, we mentioned, like he yeah. can step. step. Yeah. Look at Coles. He's a great hooker. He's always out in the back line, but he's got pace and they can they can use their legs, and that's that's part of the modern game. One guy who is absolutely massive is Matt Lumanu, who got a five-week ban mm. for that hit. Um, it didn't look so bad at the time, Flats. I don't know what I don't know what you thought about it. I tell you what, to be completely honest, I watched. I was there live, and as soon as he did it, I thought, I cannot believe that's a yellow. That is a red all day long. I then caught my breath, and I think he does duck into it a he bit. Does, he I definitely know. does, and I think that if he's on your side, you're calling that a great hit. He's not trying to hurt anyone. He's just built like a terraced house, and he hits hard against the <laughs> bloke who isn't. I think. I think. I, I don't want to be that glib ex pro that you know, condones violence. I don't think that is violence. I think that's a massive unit blindsiding a small unit who's ducking into it. And that, for me, is a rugby incident. Five-week ban is insane for that, I think.
The big news from Bristol this week has been the sacking of their head coach, Andy Robertson. So we sent Ali Eakin along to find out more. Don't be fooled by the bright sunshine and the blue sky. This is a club with dark clouds hanging over the top of it. On Thursday, Andy Robinson was suspended by Bristol after a run of results that had seen them lose nine from nine. And now this week they've confirmed that he will be leaving the club. There are questions that need answering here. And that's why I've come to Clifton. Chris, you've sacked Andy Robinson. Tell us why. You know, we, we lost, um, lost confidence uh, whether we could actually stay up in this league. So, and the reality is, as soon as you lose confidence, it's only fair to all parties to take action. So that's what we did. We took action. So two and a half months ago, you gave him a three-year contract. And that day, you said that you were delighted that he'd signed. Did you not plan for... A bad start. We always knew it was going to be tough, uh, but to lose the amount of games that we've lost, and I think in the manner we've lost them, you know, this is a club uh, investing heavily in a new stadium, uh, in players and, and infrastructure. Uh, so to contemplate uh, getting relegated is unacceptable. And you're convinced that's a, a coaching issue as opposed to a player quality issue? Well, the uh, coach signs the players, so, you know, um, the coaches. Uh, come forward with the players they want. So, um, so for, for your money, the, coach, the, the players that Andy Robinson brought in have, have not delivered for him, therefore it, it must be well, his you know, I'm not saying now, you know, we have a group of players, uh, they are good players, um, they are premiership players, uh, we, we are very confident in that. The man filling the void left by Andy Robinson for the moment is Mark Tainton. Never a head coach, but he's a Bristolian, he's the club's record point scorer and has bags of experience from the Premiership and Ireland. Well, the first thing I want the, uh, the team to do is to start enjoying training again. You know, I see some smiling faces on the training field and once we get that, they will start to express themselves. And then we want to take that onto the, onto the actual playing field. If this is an opportunity to play some football, then we'll back them 100%. Do you feel that perhaps despite your search being broad and expansive, there might actually be very few numbers who want to come in under these circumstances, the threat of relegation well, and a squad of 60-odd players, none of whom they've no, signed? So certainly not. Uh, you know, as we said, we've not, we've not made any contact with anybody uh, and we have uh, some very interesting names who uh, you would argue are some of the best coaches in the world who have thrown their hand in the ring. Some, of course, uh, are available now. Some, of course, would not be available to next season. By which time, you, you, worst case scenario, you might be back down again, though, Chris. So how are you going to get a world-class coach to come to come and coach well, in the you, championship? Uh, you know, you would, uh, you, you know, you would look at what we're going to build over the next three to five years. Uh, and in some ways, of course, that allows the coach a little, a little bit more time because then you haven't you done that building already. Uh, well, you built to get here, no? Clearly, uh, not sufficiently good enough because otherwise, we wouldn't be in the position we're in. Um, but you know we are not. You know we are very, very confident that we're going to stay up. I am, you know, absolutely believe that we can turn this around. Well, first things first. Who are the names he's talking about? Let's speculate. Any ideas, lads? Well, there's a lot of chat about Heineken Meyer coming in. That's that's kind of the main one I've heard. And this is all. It's all anecdotal, but that that's been read. That's been you know sort of put around in the papers on the websites and all that. But I've I haven't yet spoken to anyone who's been coached by Heineken Meyer who thinks that's a brilliant idea. I don't, I don't know Heineken May very well, but I haven't met anyone who says that's a good idea yet. But just quickly, I did ask Dave, um, your season's just started, hasn't it? Yes. So why didn't they sack him in the off-season? But you said you just got a new well, three-year deal. got a three-year deal, Robinson did, yeah. and then Sean Holly as well was given a two-year deal. 
uh, Welsh coach and was and was sacked in the off season as well. And you know, there's there's big payouts. It's, an, payouts. it's, a, it's a, we're a problem with, with with the promotion system, you know, because you can't really gauge how they're going to fare until they get up here and they get eight games in. Mm. And there's often a reaction, I suppose, as not That's yeah. the way it Can works. I give you a quick name? Yeah, Will Greenwood. Actually, he actually looked good running the border on, on Barbarian. He coached the backs for the Barbells. He's a different thinker. And all these other names that they're going to see are all journeyman guys. And we saw at the weekend the sides that are doing things differently or surprising sides now are actually seeing real benefits. Guys with lateral thinkers as their coaches as opposed to guys who are career coaches, as you see with career politicians, you get a difference. And, and that's I coming from Will Greenwood's agent here tonight. <laughs> done, done, yes, uh, done deal, apparently. He's done, yeah. Um, okay. so, no, 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 I'm just wondering with Andy Robinson, though, how much of the problem was Andy Robinson? Oh, it's, not, it's not all his fault. The problem they've got is that you don't really find out that you're going to get promoted until end of May, and it's way too late to really bring in any, any decent players. They need to have either get rid of the playoffs in the championship or have them a lot earlier, March, April. That's still too late because we're seeing players yeah. now like George Ford. You're not supposed to talk to players, I thought, until the 1st of Jan, but yeah. there's about five different clubs that have signed in by all accounts. <laughs> so deal, I, yeah. I, I don't know what's going on with it all. So how do you fix, fix their problems then? You bring in I the think coach, the, 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 issues are, the issues at Bristol are, they're kind of, they're, there's a lot of them. And I think Andy Robinson, as Chris said, was given carte blanche. And they now have 62 professionals in that first team squad, which is an outrageously large number. Yeah, and of that number, how many of them would you call tier one elite premiership players? There ain't many. So, and they're also, they're not paying what the other clubs are paying as an average salary. So they're paying less than all the other clubs we hear for twice as many players. So Andy Robinson did that. So that is on him. He's a great guy, but I do think it was the right decision. However, you give a barking dog a biscuit, it keeps barking. Mm -hmm. You have to look higher up the food chain. Mm -hmm. Guys like Chris gave Robbo permission to do that and didn't, didn't regulate it and didn't seek counsel from anybody independent um, to sort of regulate what they were doing. They believed everything Andy Robinson told them. Andy Robinson is a 100% honest guy, but he just, got, he just got some stuff wrong at Bristol. So he didn't hoodwink anybody, but they absolutely bought into him 100%. And actually put all their eggs, excuse, excuse the cliche, put all their eggs in one sort of rugby basket and they were unwise to. They didn't, they sort of lost perspective and it's gone badly wrong. And this is early action to be taking, perhaps not as early as Campo suggests. This is early season. I feel if they left it any later, they would definitely be down if they're not already. It's a great shame. Okay, so let's move on then. We could talk about that all night as well, couldn't we? Okay, so let's take a look at this weekend's second round of the Anglo-Welsh Cup then. Scarlets welcome Bath on Friday night to Parker Scarlets. Ospreys kick off their campaign hosting Quinns. We'll be live from 7.30 on BT Sport as Bristol host Sale Sharks. Our guest there will be Glenn Delaney, as Craig said earlier on. Newcastle travel to the Allianz. Gloucester make the journey to Franklin's Gardens to face the Saints. It's an Anglo-Welsh affair at Welford Road where the Tigers and Dragons go head-to-head. -head. And on Sunday, we're live at Sandy Park on BT Sport as Exeter and Cardiff Blues fight for their first win in this year's competition. With us for that one, uh, Dave's mate, Tom Shanklin. Weird guy. Weird guy. <laughs> really, really You've weird. You've said yeah. that a few oh. times now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back again next week. See you then. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan 
turning a side hustle into a full hustle or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.